When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I would like to tell you a story. Knife Talk is sponsored by Evenheat, the manufacturers of the finest knife treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Welcome to Knife Talk, episode 78. Um, so today it's just myself and Jeff. So me, I'm Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives, and I'm joined by every week by Jeff Fader of Fader Knives. Now normally we have Mareko Malmasi with us, um, but it's his son's birthday, and quite rightly, family comes first. So he's spending the day dressed up as a princess at this kid's birthday party. He's gonna have a great time, I'm sure. But um, yeah, he'll be back next week. Yeah. So what's up, Jeff? What have you been up to? Well, happy birthday to his son, number yes, one, first Beck, and foremost. Little Beck. It's uh, you know, it, it was a it was a very tough week. It was a tough week. I, I started uh, I started um, uh, making these knives. I did a collaboration with Chef Carl Ruiz, who I've been dealing with for the past few years, and and we designed he designed a knife, and I started working on these fifty L Bandito knives, and they're they're this fun little. It's like a hybrid between a culinary knife and like a uh, one of my, my uh, like a bushcrafty knife, and it's as as Carl wanted it to be uh, for um, tailgating and home defense. <laughs> so that's the whole point. So. So this week was just like grinding. So I was uh, grinding away all week, pre-grinding all the blades. It was like it was it was brutal. Fifty fifty knives, uh, just standing in front of the grinder and realizing that I, I'm gonna have to buy some new motors for my grinders. My grinder motors are starting to starting to break the break uh, hit the breaker. Yeah. So I'm just kind of you know. So it was a lot of drudgery this week hmm. and uh, tough stuff, but. That's how we do. Well, listen, that's it. You know, it's I don't know what all, else to say. It's not all high fives and hand jobs. It's so, hand jobs. What <laughs> hand jobs? Oh man, no hand jobs. Thank God, damn it. That's um, a good one. That I should use that from now on. Hand jobs. Very high good. fives and hand jobs. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because you know I think a lot of our listeners are a lot of them are uh, not to men, you know some of them are full time makers, part time makers, and you get to this point where if you're in your shop and you're just you're, you're or you're working for someone and you just you just think that you know I. I, I, my boss is a dick, or I can't believe I have to. I can't wait to leave the shop because they're being a dick, and or I can't wait to leave this job. Ugh, I'm so sick of working with this guy, and he's a dick. He's a dick, and then all of a sudden you finally pull the plug, and you're you're working for yourself, and all of a sudden you that you 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 lose that security blanket of the job, and now all of a sudden the bills come and the pressure, and then all of a sudden you realize, wait a second, I'm the dick. Now I'm the dick. I got to work for the dick, and it's like you know it's. It's not easy, but you know, boom! Yeah. It's different pressures. You got you got nobody telling you what to do, but the buck stops with you. I think that's the thing, isn't it? Well, the bills are telling you what to do. The mm. overheads telling you what to do. This yeah. is it sucks. It sucks to a certain degree because you know everything. Grass is always uh, the gra- uh, grass is greener on the other side, but 
you know, you have to kind of bite down and just kind of be like, all right, well, these, you know, you got to, you got to, you got to make some shit. You got to make it happen. And mm. it's kind of like, it's not like you said, it's not all hand jobs. <laughs> How many banditos are you making? I'm making 50. Oh, nice. We sold 50. And, and now um, I'm actually waiting for the handle material to come in. All the, that this is the last uh, bit of the material to come in. It's a lot, a lot of G10. And, um, I, uh, they're, they're, everything's looking good. Everything's looking good. I actually just finished the file work on the spines and now I'm just kind of like, because it's stainless, they're short knives. I mean, they're, they're, you know, the blades like, you know, under five inches, it's a short knife. It goes a lot faster, but because I'm plate quenching it because they're carb, they're, um, stainless steel, I can take off a little bit more material and I'm, and I'm not really having to worry about a distal taper. So it's much more streamlined in that sense. Um, there's going to be a lot less grinding after heat treatment, which makes me a little bit happier because when I was doing the Cuban knives last year, it was a just, there were, you know, nine inch chef knives. It took a long time to grind after heat treatment. These are yeah. shorter. So yeah. What, what, sort gotta, of fin- what sort of finish are you going to go with? Uh, you know what? I'm unfortunately, uh, unfortunately for me, I, I always do hand a satin finish, a hand sanded satin finish. Yeah, and it's one of those things. I just like the look. I I, I really, really like the look of a hand, uh, satin finish. I, I know a lot of guys do off the belt finish, and I think that look people do a great job. Uh, I don't think that mine look is good. Uh, I like a satin finish that mm-hmm. that satin finish where the lines going from the. From the um, from the heel to the tip, it just kind of gives you this visual. To me, when I see that, it makes me see the knife as a, as a directional thing, and you get to mm. see the lines kind of like your your the lines lead your eye down the 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 blade, and I just think that they just it looks a little sharper. But it's a total sacrifice of time. You're gonna have biceps like a king. Fifty stainless blades. Oof. Wow, the bicep! I look. I, I'm gonna, or I'm gonna have carpal tunnel in my hands. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like, <laughs> like you know, yeah. talk about hand jobs. I mean, it's like, you know, <laughs> you know, I have to constant. I'm constantly remaking my my paddles because you're you're, you know, if you don't, if your paddles aren't like ergonomic, you put your fa- you put your hands to sleep. You know, yeah, you you can yeah. really you know, and then not to mention all the calluses. Look, what am I going to talk about? My hands all the time? You know? <laughs> How are you? What's going on with you? I'm good. It's been a good week. It's um, prepping scales for restaurant orders, um, stabilizing, and, and yeah, a lot of prep work. Um, what I'm tended to do now is I've, I've got sort of restaurant orders backed up, so I, I can I can prep a bunch of scales at once, stabilize a bunch at once, and, and do it that way. Um, yesterday was a bit of a break, so there was a Fete Couteau, which we talked about reef very briefly last week yeah. which is a, a knife show here in Nontron. um and it was good it was really really good to see um it was a blistering hot day and it was all outdoors so it was, it was really nice um but yeah I, I bought a bunch of wood which i picked up from the supplier at at the place as well which is really nice and just good to just to, just to see faces and see what people are working on there's a it's a definite sort of style with the french makers um, where yeah. they like to keep everything sort of a brute de force, I suppose. So you, you know, you yeah. can see their workings out. Very different to what I do. Um, but yeah, really good. Lots of lots of inspiration. Um, everybody's selling the same knife. 
<laughs> well, how many people do you think came to that event? I'd say there's probably 5,000 visitors. Oh, my um, God. It's a, it's a two-day event. It's on today as well. But I mean, one day is enough, to be honest with you. So, so but that's different from the event you went to in Tiers, right? Yeah. So Tier is um, – that's, that's the big one that they do. That, that, what's it called? Oh, Coutelier. That's, that's the big one every year. Um, so in France, we've got two sort of knife-making areas. One is Thiers, which is, you know, the Lagioles, all that kind of things. And the other one is Nontron, and they do what they call the Perigord knife, which is um, a folding knife, quite similar to a Lagiole and a Thiers-style knife, but it's, it's their own sort of version of that. So, And that's only about 30, 40 minutes from me. So, yeah, it was a nice oh, trip, lovely geez. drive to get there through the countryside, beautiful. Um, yeah, just really nice, really nice. But um, it just amazes me how they've had these traditional shapes for, you know, decades and decades and decades. And you go from table to table, and it's the same thing, just with a different handle on. It's, it's crazy. Crazy different handle. So, so, so how do they do – they, do they do a lot of – who comes to those things? Is it like restaurant buyers or no, who's this coming is, to those things? There's very much a different sort of um, culture here in France, certainly what I'm used to in the UK, where everybody carries a knife. Um, you're allowed to carry you know, any knife that you like. So everybody carries a knife, particularly where we are because we're very rural – Right. There's a lot, of, a lot of farmers, a lot of sort of you know field workers, that kind of thing. So they've always got a knife on them. So yeah, the customer going to those things are just you know Joe Public, um, and people do generally have a, a, a sort of you know they, they like knives here. It, it's in their culture. You know, you know, so you see housewives, the, you know, looking at the knives and appreciating the knives. It's, it's nice. To so see. these aren't these aren't. So it sounds to me like these aren't super expensive knives. Well. That, um, my wife came with me yesterday and she was like, well, what's the difference between that knife and that knife? Because that knife right. is 100 euros and that one's 1,000 euros. And I walked away myself at times thinking, yeah, I wonder what is the difference? <laughs> well, um, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it makes a lot of sense in regards to who the customers are. Like if you go to the Blade Show, a lot of times there's certain people who are going for the little, you know, the spider coes and the little kind of like under $100, you know, yeah folding knives and then there are collectors going to get you know buying expensive knives from you know master bladesmith so i'm wondering if that's the if that's the whole thing at an event like this where if it's farmers and stuff like that are they just like they fucked up their old knife and now it's time to get a new one well it's weird because like you just said you know people either go for something like a spyderco or you know a branded knife or something more custom but the designs are all the same here so that you know that typical tier shape the laggy old shape Everybody yeah. does that design. So then differenti- differentiating yourself from another, you know, to totally different price level. I, I don't see how they do it. it. It's I'm flummoxed by it. It's this tradition, this thing of tradition sort of strangling people, you know, where they, they mm. stick to tradition and it's stopping people moving on. And it's, it's, I find it really str- – I can't get my head around it. But um, there's a few but people it- doing something different, which is nice to see. And there's very few chef knives, uh, you know um, – table knives that kind of thing mainly mainly folders or the big factories they're selling their sort of laggy old table knives that kind of thing but it's not that surprising that they would be the same i mean if you talk about especially in france if you look at the culture of uh the culture of their food i mean there are certain recipes that have been been handed down for you know hundreds and hundreds of years and then they haven't changed i mean you go to you know you go so it doesn't you know they're used to this specific recipe they're used to a specific style and it's not a surprise that they don't really kind of you know yeah well i mean the restaurant industry here in france i'd say 
10 years ago, it was it was on its arse because it was relying on tradition. It was relying on the old staples, hadn't moved forward with the times and almost had an arrogance about it as well. Um, and I'd say 10 years ago, food in France was stuck in the 70s, um, particularly in sort of Paris, those those areas. It yeah. was just stuck and the rest of the world had moved on and they were, they were being left behind. Um, but I'd say over the last seven, maybe eight years – Restaurants are changing, and they're doing they're doing sort of modern stuff. So they're so they're keeping their classics, but they're sort of modernising them for a, a modern palate, that kind of thing. Hmm. But the, the French hang on to their traditions like crazy, like crazy, yeah. and it comes across as an arrogance sometimes. As I say, certainly with the food, it did. Um, but yeah, they, they, they are slowly moving with it. They're being dragged out of the seventies. Yeah. Mm. Well, speaking of, uh, I know you were talking about, what were you stabilizing? What kind of wood were you stabilizing? Um, walnut. So, I mean, it's French walnut, so it's pretty hard anyway, but I like to stabilize stuff, even if it is hard wood, because it will take on some stuff, and it will polish up better as well than, a, you know, even an oily hard wood. Polish is nice, but if it's stabilized, you know, it gets that. What's the word? we Chateauens. That's the Chitoyance. new word we learned. That's, That's yes. right. That's right. So and yeah, chatoyance so, comes from the uh, the way a tree grows, and then the pressure of the oils and the grains and stuff like that, and that's how you create that. Yeah, I guess. But I, I was uh, interested. Uh, speaking of which, I was talking to. Speaking of who let the dogs out, uh, who Jonathan let the Por- dogs out? That's right. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Two for one. That's a two for one. We haven't even barely started this goddamn thing, and we're already hitting the hitting the beepers. So so. I a lot of people were sending me nice messages in regards to when uh, Jonathan was on. We're talking about the stabilizing, and I, I talk to him pretty frequently. And one of the things that's always been a problem for me with stabilizing, I don't really stabilize a, t- a pile of wood. I usually buy a lot of wood. I be honest with you, I like a, I get a lot of wood from uh, Rob's Wildwood. He hmm. makes great wood. I, I buy a lot of his. We call my friends you know, Jer- Jeremy Spate calls it fruity wood because it's all colorful. Looks like a bowl of fruity pebbles. That's fine. So a lot of times when I'm stabilizing, I do a lot of stuff around here, uh, Hudson Valley stuff. I, I use uh, a friend of mine's got a lumber yard, and he gives me some you know things that they can't stabilize and stuff that'd be perfect for knives. So I started getting when I started getting into stabilizing, I was reading about the pump and how you're supposed to do the uh, the you know how you're supposed to do the suck and everything. And I, I would start turning the I turn the vacuum on and. It would be towards the end of the day, and I and I thought I can't leave this on all 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 night. You know, yeah. it's number one. It's going to ruin my you know my neighbor's going to kill me, and my, it's going to ruin the pump. So I started to turn it off, and then I would you know start it up again the next day. I would release the pressure and start it up again the next day. And then I was under the impression I've read certain things that it's you know not as good to do. So then what I would do is I just come in early on days I was going to stabilize. And it just seemed like it was just an inefficient way to kind of manage your time and manage the stabilizing. So what Jonathan was telling me is because he's he's not to mention just a knife maker, but he's also a doghouse forge. He also is a farrier. So he he's not in the shop all the time, too. So he was having the same issues. So what he did was he told me what you should do is you should change the plumbing of your of your little chamber and put a shutoff valve before the chamber starts. Yeah. So you have your, your pump, then your line that leads to your chamber. And then the, the, uh, the gauge is on the chamber, blah, blah, blah. He says, if you put a, if you put a shutoff valve, um, in front of the chamber, you can start sucking, get Lock your the pressure in. 
lock the pressure in, and then yeah. you actually can shut off. You can close the shut off, and the chamber will be, I don't know, for lack of a better word, charged at that uh, vacuum pressure. And then you can turn off your pump, fuck away off, and then you can start it back up again. And yeah. he was referring to it as like a pause button. And apparently this is something that a lot of stabilizers do because obviously you can't have your pump running for, you know, hundred, you know, days on end. Some woods take a lot longer to stabilize than others. And he says, and what you can do is, you know, you just start it back. You know, you, you, when you next day you come back in, you start it back up. You give it a couple hours here, a couple hours there. And then what you're doing is, is you're putting a, a pause button on your stabilizing. So I did all the, ch- I did all the, um, the plumbing. And then um, I had a one problem. I turned it on. And I was like, oh, this is fucking great. And all of a sudden, I started to see the oil from the tank, mm-hmm. from the pump, start going up the line. Well, you need to, I, in, with my pump, it doesn't, when, you, when, the, when, the, uh, when the pump is turned off, it doesn't backfeed the pressure. So it doesn't kind of slowly release. So what I had to do is I had to make like a little uh, quick release and then just bleed the lines before the mm-hmm. oil would kind of, you know, I had to release the pump for the most part. So that was something that really kind of, it was a game changer for me because now um, I'm able to, you know, pu- put a pause button on the pump on the uh, pumping of the 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 wood, and then all of a sudden I get better results. Yeah, you're not but, starting again, and no, you're it, not starting again. It's what I do because I'm I'm nervous about leaving the pump on, um, and I, I wouldn't leave it on overnight because again, mine's it burns oil and it, it's not something you'd want to leave on. Right. Yeah, my my plumbing is basically the same. So I have got my pump. I then have a shut off valve. I then have my entrance into the chamber with a with a dial showing pressure, and then I have another shutoff valve before I have my my air filter. Right. So when I want to let air out, um, sorry, air in, it comes through a filter bef- when I do the shutoff valve before it goes into the chamber. Um, and it, yeah, it works really well. So you can just hold that pressure in. So it's it's no longer sucking. So you're not putting positive pressure on, but you right. are just holding the pressure where it is. Oh man, it me it, it all of a sudden I'm like I don't have to come in early. I don't have to come in early to make sure I have a good 12-hour window. I don't have to leave it on and then come back in the middle of the night, which I've done before. And I'm also under the impression that it's good for when you're doing dye. If you're dyeing the resin, hmm. what Jonathan says is sometimes if you if you you know run the run the you run a, run the suck for lack of a better term and then turn it off and then release the pressure and it's sitting in the the dye and then you start it up the next time you might get a a difference in the color. There might be a more concentrated area from the first suck to the second suck. Mm, yeah, it fucking sucks. But I mean, you know, it's it's a it was a I was super pumped because super pumped. Get another one. And that was a good one. Jesus Christ! But it was a huge thing for me because now all of a sudden, you know, I don't have to you know, think too hard about how I'm doing the stabilizing and I can kind of do it on my own. You know, you can do it on your own time, which yeah. is great. Well, funnily enough, I was speaking to Jonathan myself this week, regard, well, just yesterday, regarding stabilizing. So, because this is walnut that I'm doing a huge, loads and loads of walnut. Uh. Um, and because it's obviously pretty hard, what I didn't want to do is put blocks in, knowing that I'm never going to penetrate into the middle. So I've cut down to scales first. Right, um, but obviously, when you bake, you're going to get this runoff, and you're going to get this crud along the edges. Yeah. Um, so Jonathan was saying, "Well, you probably should have left it as a, as, a, as a block and so on." So the way I'm the way I'm getting around that now is when I'm baking, I have a metal tray underneath. Right. But then I'm just putting it's like a you know the the, the 
the grills that you have in it in an oven. Yeah. You know, the, so I'm having one of them just two inches above that so I can stand my scales up and they're leaning on this grill, start standing up. Right. Um, so then any drip out that you get will just be collected at the bottom. You don't get crud on one edge instead of, you know, a top edge, a face. And it seems to be working well. So, yeah, so that's, it's, it's working well, well. His tip from two episodes ago where he says wipe, out, wipe down the wood before you wrap it up, was, yeah. was a, there wasn't as much runoff. There was definitely not as much runoff yeah. um, when I did it. But, you know, look, I, I, you know, hand jobs and high fives. I, this is, <laughs> you know, this is fine. But I also spoke to Jonathan about something else this week. Jeez, he's really? been featuring heavy in our lives. Yeah, apparently um, he's uh, he's uh, he's a wanted uh, wanted wanted man. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. apparently. Go ahead. He's, he sent me a um, a screenshot of um, another company with a very similar name to mine, and he was like, "Oh, have you got yours trademarked, protected in any way?" And I and I was like, "Oh, sort of." We sort of I've talked about in the past and all the rest of it, but um, it got me thinking. Another I, another chop knives. It's chop something knives, yeah. They've just put one extra yeah. letter in, so there's 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 a couple out there already. Yeah, one of them has a, one of them has a logo that's very very similar to mine, but it's it is what it is. So I speaking to my wife, her sister actually works in the patent office in the UK. Right. So the patent office, they also do um, trademarks, copyright. It's all in one government office. Yeah. So we were on the we were on the phone to her, and she, we're going to sort out the trademark. Um, so it's UK, EU, and worldwide, and it's yeah, it's 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 it's, it's hell of a thing. So there's also something called registering your designs as well, which I didn't know. So it's there's there's trademarking, there's copywriting, there's obviously patenting, which patenting wouldn't be relevant, but you can also register your designs. So for example, your Bandito or your um, Cuban. Um, that you know, they're specific designs, and you use specific... Gee, What's going on? <laughs> what is what you, going on? Why do you keep hitting everything? Oh, jeez, jeez! <laughs> As if it's a joke. Oh, <laughs> I'm but, like waiting for something. Like, I'm not. I'm not paying attention or something. Go ahead. Uh, but these specific designs can be uh, registered, so um, nobody can do that exact design. So, for example, you know, calling something a Cuban and it looks like you're Cuban. There have been quite a few sort of mimics out there. This would put an end to that, and, it, and oh, it's yeah. super, super cheap. But it's, it's just admin work. Who's so, gonna? Who's gonna? What are, I'm gonna start sending cease and desist letters, and then they're gonna, you know, that this is an interesting situation because. You know, I understand. I understand where you're coming from in regards to the name of your company, the logo of your company, the design of your company. But like, when it comes to knife making, I think that I think that you can't start suing people over knife designs. It's well, I like, think if you've got something as specific as yours, as your Bandito and your Cuban, they're, look, they're very specific. Even the colorways that you use in, you know, it's it's. What I'm going to sue somebody for because I can put a black handle on. Well, no. If they got the if they got the same blade and they've got the same uh, handle and they're called into Cuban, that that's an obvious rip off right. in my book. The, I think that if you you gotta have like you gotta have like a three a three parter. You can't just you know. I, I just I get very like this whole this is not art. I'm gonna say it a million times, and it's like we're we're all going off of you know when I talk about the the way I make my knives, there's slight evolutions on each other. So when I designed the Cuban, it was legitimately, when I was talking in the, to Carl Weiss, I said, he said, I want something sinister. So I took one of my knife designs. I'm like, all right, let's put a, you know, a, a, what, a swedge on the back, a harpoon clip, or let's make it a little bit more sinister. Let's make that curl it a little bit. I mean, I took 
I took uh, likenesses, not likenesses. I took, you know, uh, inspirations from like fighting knives. Hmm. So like you could very much say to me, ah, that doesn't look like, I mean, that's not an original design. I was really like taking my knife and then making add-ons to kind of push it into the direction that he was looking for. I'm, I, I would be hard sell to a hard, you know, it's not the most original design. Hmm. I don't even think I could, I, I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I mean, yes, people have been saying, you know, people have been, you know, I, I just, I think when you start to to, to look at, uh, you know, who's designs what, and you start sending cease and desist orders, I think everyone, I think the only people are going to win are the lawyers. Possibly. It's going to be a lot Possibly. of, it's going to be a lot but of problems. In, let's, let's say my circumstance. So I'm working with a sort of a high profile chef at the moment on a signature right. line for them. Um. I'd be so pissed off if I saw somebody else do exactly the same, using the same materials, exactly the same shape, um, and calling it a similar name. Similar name when they're, do- you know, it's it's clear what they're doing. They're trying to sort of trade off something that I've done, and you know, and I've seen people doing that with you, with 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 your knives, with you, particularly with your Cuban. They're, they're, yeah. you know, they're, they're calling it something very similar. They're using exactly the same materials, exactly the same design. But it's it, yeah. This is something that's going to happen. There are people who learn how to make knives from other people and they get influence from that person. It's, there's not a whole, I mean, this is, this is the reason why it gets me so crazy because it's like, we're, no one's come up with an original, original, original idea that's like different, super, super. I mean, when I look at other knife makers and I'm looking at the guys who are the most innovative, they've set themselves apart to the point where you, if you rip them off, hey, listen, Tomer from Florentine Knives is getting ripped off left and right all through Europe from these. There's some French guys who are making his knives. Those French. I'm telling you, (laughs) I'm telling you, man, I I actually sent a message to him like somebody, somebody's, somebody's dipping in. You know, you look at you look at China and right now, the guys who are making iPhones, who are Mm. manufacturing iPhones, they were making their own version of the iPhone, too. These people are like there as long as you see some money you're going to you're going to figure out a way to 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 get it over on someone. I I just don't I appreciate what you're saying and I appreciate the concept of 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 protecting your brand and I envy you and I'm, you know, but at the same time I feel like it's like you're fighting a you might in certain circumstances I'm not going to copyright any of my knives. I'm not going to copyright the designs. I can't do it. It's just in my mind. I'm just like, if I, in my mind, I honestly feel if I can, if, if I'm putting all my eggs in this one basket and if I can't be more innovative to do better than what somebody else is doing, then I'm, then, then it's my fault. But it, what I'm saying is, is it's your work. You've done it first. You've done it. You've done it first. So it's not a case of you having to innovate to be better than these people. So, I mean, b- based on what? Based on what other people have seen on on Instagram? I think it'd be hard. Pr- I think I'm not 100 percent sure it is the case. I, mm. I think that I think that we're I think that we're being I think that you're being very kind, and I think that you're being very uh, you're being very kind. I'm not. I just don't think that I can do it. I, I mean, yes, when I see someone, and recently people have been like crediting me for things which is always very kind and i always send a picture to to tony and i say there's another one here's another one but what are you gonna do we just tony and i just curse and we say shitty things about you behind your back and then that's the end of it (laughs) (laughs) motherfucker yeah that's it you want to go you want to hear what happens that's what happens 
Tony and I get on the phone like that motherfucker right there, this son of a bitch right there, and that's it. Let's move on with the news. News this news this week in the knife world. So, first of all, a massive congratulations to Morocco. He's not with us today, but he did this massive auction for this this amazing. I'm sure you've all seen the pictures. Of this amazing yeah. knife featured in Vogue. It was yeah, just beautiful, and he auctioned it, and it seemed to go really well. Um, so I hope somebody's very very happy with with the new knife that they're going to be getting. Yeah, congratulations. Mm. Congratulations to his son. It's his son's birthday today. I think I think he's three, just three. So congratulations to little Vic. And happy birthday. we might as well say it. Happy birthday to Jonathan Porter, Doghouse Forge. It's his birthday too. Again, Jonathan Porter. Yesterday, yeah. yeah. Let the dogs out! Ah, please, please. I hope you have a power outage. I can't take any more of that. <laughs> Other news I wanted to talk about is um I've seen the Instagram of doing this 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 weird, I don't know if it's an experiment or whether it's gonna be forever. Um, but they're removing follow accounts and like counts on posts. So, for example, um, I know they're doing it in Australia. They've, they've started rolling it out in Australia and, and different countries. I'm not sure if it's going to be a worldwide thing. And I'm not really sure of the purpose either. Um, but I, the intention is you'll be able to see how many followers you have. You'll be able to see how many likes you have on specific uh, posts. Um, but nobody else will, which is I, I heard about that. that is just, I don't see the, I don't see the, the benefit. Hmm. Can't see, like, I can't see the logic, no. There's definitely a meritocracy. Is it meritocracy would be the right word? I mean, there is a meritocracy. There's like a, you know, the whole idea of followers and likes does translate into, you know, either business or whatever. Or, hmm. And I, I would think that there's that's the incentive to be on Instagram. So you're kind of hmm. taking, I mean, no one really gives a shit about your fucking sandwich that you take a picture of. <laughs> honestly, honestly. I mean... If I got to see your turkey sandwich, I mean, I mean, it's, seriously, it's social proofing, isn't it? And social proofing is is a currency these days. You know, you you see people they'll grab a celebrity and they'll take a picture of them. That, that's a certain currency for them. Um, and the, the more you know, the likes you get, the, the higher your follow account. It is a, a social currency, and to remove that, it. I think they're forgetting what they're all about. That's all they're about. It's so strange. And and I hate to say the word influencer, but I was at a, an event uh, last year. It was a Johnny Walker event, and my friend was the chef doing a mm-hmm. pop-up. And um, and they had, they, it was a, a, a small invitation. There was like probably like 100 people in there. And there was one table of these people who we were told were influencers. They They were specifically... Asked to sit at the table, have a nice meal, and all they were doing was taking pictures of each course, and then they were sending it off to their, sending it off to all their uh, followers, you know. And then all of a sudden, I kind of looked at it. We were looking in to see what they this this woman here. All she does is go take pictures of. She gets invited to restaurants. She takes pictures of the food. She sends it out to her 150 thousand followers, and she just eats all over New York for free. Hmm. And. It's it is it is a fascinating thing that I would I would just don't see the benefit of I don't see the benefit of taking away people's incentive to post. Yeah, you know? it is it is strange. It is strange, but I don't know whether it's a regulatory thing in certain countries or not. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, I find it very strange. Wow. Well, 
let's move on. Let's talk about one of our sponsors. So Combat Abrasives, they've been with us for some time now. I use the belts, Jeff used the belts. Marek, I think everybody uses Combat Abrasives, but not everybody knows that they can get a discount. So if they go to combatabrasives.com and they use Knife Talk 10, they're going to get 10% off. And remember, they do abrasives, obviously belts, belts in any... They even make up a belt in a specific size for you if you need, because they do it all in-house. It's a family-run business. They'll do it all in-house. They do epoxies. They do handle material. They do everything now. So go and take a look at Combat Abrasives at combatabrasives.com. Remember to tag us if you're going to use the promo code because we'll share it out and everybody else gets to see the beautiful things that you've bought and everybody's happy. Boom. Love it. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? (laughs) All right. Hey, man, can I ask you a question is the segment where if you're on Instagram, you follow us at Knife Talk Podcast. Halfway through the week, we usually say, hey, he DM us your questions and to be to participate in the show. So these are questions you have for us. And in the future, you can ask us anything. I mean, some of the questions we do over and over again, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we, we try to weed through them and help you out. So the first question comes from Chopping with Chris. If cost and availability was not prohibitive, prohibitive, prohibitive what materials and steel would make the ultimate knife for you? So money's out the door. Money's out the door. You can make your shit out of whatever you want. That's a, that's a strange one, that, because materials generally aren't, you know, a big cost when you're making a knife. Your cost is your time. Um, well, that's that's so, part of the materials, too, then. No, I suppose. I, I, I think I haven't used Dharma Steel, and simply because that is a little bit more expensive than what I'm currently using. So right. I'd like to try that because I don't for I don't make my own Damascus. I don't forge. So it would be nice to sort of experiment with some Dharma Steel. Um, but no, I'm quite happy with what I use. But, you know. Making a change to a different seal isn't isn't particularly expensive. Well, is there any? It's, I mean, obviously, the most important, most expensive part of the knife, uh, just for basic materials, is usually the handle material. Yeah, yeah. Would you? What would you putz around with? Hmm. I mean, I, I, saw, I, sorry. I do like um, you know natural materials such as wood and so on, um, and you know some of them, some of that you know desert ironwood and so on, can be super expensive, but. Um, I just like interesting stuff. So, as I'm currently working with a lot of recycled materials as well. Um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to be known for just working with one material because you know you, you're setting your style in stone. Then, right? Um, and talking about stone, yesterday at, at this um, knife show, there's lots of people making um, stone scales. So they're using granite and things like that as the, as the scales of their. Um, Knife, huh. which, is, which is yeah. Now, well, I, I wonder how that would hold up if it was dropped. Well, I actually it's super brittle. I actually just got some uh, of that. Uh, I guess it's man, it's made turquoise. I guess they grind up turquoise. Oh yes, I know the stuff. The, the, the bluey green stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then they make it. It looks like I don't know how they do it, but it definitely looks like turquoise. And a lot of guys use it for spacers. I know John Phillips uses it for spacers a lot, and there's a lot of uh, people. And I got a I got a piece of it, and uh, and uh, it's very interesting. But you know, the funny thing is, is you were talking about the handle materials. When I was at the Blade Show uh, last year, I was walking around with Will Stelter, and we were having a good time. We were talking, and we walked past a guy who was selling mammoth tooth, mammoth mm. tooth, and he had. I mean, the table looked like it was you know it was these brown. Th- 
teeth and brown tusks and I guess they were using I guess now the thing is with uh, with ivory a lot of times you're using um, walrus ivory obviously can't I don't think you can sell elephant ivory yeah easily but there are all these brown mammoth tusks that were found and 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 uh, you know will was was picking them up and oh but was this what is this one this, you know it was a block that was like the size of like a shoebox and it was like fifteen hundred dollars and mm-hmm. it was like insane and I know that uh, Josh Scott uses mammoth tooth a lot and and I just it, it is it is fascinating that people are using these uh found weird bones from prehistoric animals to make to make handles yeah yeah but i think particularly the hunting guys making you know hunting knives they love all that kind of stuff and you know pine cones set in resin all that kind of stuff i i think that i think that if if i i like the question because i i've just recently started making damascus here uh when cliff cliff dufton was up here we were kind of we we set the we set the weld for uh tube damascus billets and i'm going to slowly forge them out and and um just based on the time i don't have a whole lot of time so i'm trying to carve out a little bit of time to do i want to do more if i if if the time if the time and if i could make damascus i would probably do all damascus i just at first I was just like ah this stuff who cares it's a little fooling around but all of a sudden you're just like when you start to make it and it works you're like you know what this is fucking cool. And I, now I'm like, now I'm kind of on board because it, it's like, it's working and it's working and it's fascinating. And you do get this kind of idea of how to kind of work smarter. And it, it does, it's for me, I would like to make more Damascus. If I could make more Damascus, I'll make more Damascus in regards to wood. I like the burl. I like the, I hate to say it because I yeah. do so much with like the G10, but some of these burls are awesome. I got this one burl from these Australians. It was like one of these weird seed pods. It was this pod that, uh, I don't even know the name of it. Some weird Australian pod that the guy said that, you know, it goes through a forest fire and that kind of like cures it or something like that. It's this strange alien pod. And it's, uh, I forgot the goddamn name. It's some bullshit name. Who knows? These Australians, you know, God bless you. But this weird pod, I would use that pod. I'd use that pod. It's so bizarre looking. It's kind of like a pine cone, but it's got all sorts of weird holes and stuff like that. They normally like set in resin. Yeah, I yeah, got I know, one. I know I, what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, I think I might have paid too much for one of them. I, I, I when I brought it, when I when I emptied my bag, I was like, I gotta have this pot. I gotta have this pot. This strange Australian pot. And I'm looking at it, and I put my measuring tape on it. And I'm like, ah, I can only get one knife out of this motherfucker. I think I I got stupid. So <laughs> I would do Damascus with weird Australian pods. There nice. you go. Nice. Eric Markman. He asks. Um, he's got a question. Stroke beef. Ah. Why is it that when people send you a DM about how to do something or what to use and it gives them a serious answer, they don't even have the dignity to say a thank you? It happens a lot. Tell me about it. Every week. Every week. And people expect you to just stop what you're doing, answer their questions, and then they just they just fuck off. There's no thank you. There's nothing. There's nothing. <laughs> I love it. We I love I you know what? Eric Markman's awesome. He's a uh he's such a good dude. I've met him at the Blade Show and he's such a talented guy. Uh he's probably gonna be my he's going to be my uh community showcase. He's, he's a big he's a fan of the podcast. He also sent me a message saying, If you need more beefs, I got a lot of them. He angry, <laughs> he angry, he angry on the Netherlands. So uh um I you know, people are the worst. I mean, I think that I think that dealing with people not face to face 
makes you such a piece. It makes you so shittier. Uh. Makes you so shittier. People ask us questions. Oh yeah, like like all the times people say, "Can you do a video step by step?" Uh, step here's the, I like the ones where people say, can you do a video step-by-step on how you make a knife? Thanks in advance. As in, I've already said, I'm going to do it. Thanks in advance. Cause I know you're going to do it. it. These people are crazy. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and I think that if you dealt with these people face to face, obviously I think people are more polite. I think people have got nothing to lose on, you know, on social media. They'll ask you something. They know they've got nothing to lose. If you, if you don't respond, fair enough. If you do, it's a win. But yeah, but that whole not even saying thank you, you know, it's just, oh, come on. Well, we're, the funny thing is, is we create this, we're creating this, this, uh, this relationship where we're trying to be helpful. Like when people send me DMs, I, I mean, unless it's a hey cutie hot stuff, I usually I usually answer them, and I try to be as uh, helpful as I can within reason. I mean, some people are just getting so goddamn lazy. It's like, where do you, where do I, you know, the one thing I get all the time is, where do I find a t- epoxy dye? You know, when I dye my knives, the 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 file work, I, mm. I I use a dye, and that's like maybe the number one question I get is, where do you get the dye? There are knife supply stores. You can look it up. I mean, these are those are the questions that are easy. The yeah. people, some people are just like, they're so, they're so. We're we are getting more and more brain dead. We're. <laughs> did you hear that? Did you hear that? Like there are. There's a strange evolution in the human skeleton where we're starting to grow horns out of the back of our head. What? There. I'm telling you, we're getting in the For back of our. For what purpose? Because we're do? leaning down. It's like a bone spur in your skull. <gasps> Because we're on and our phones, head down. We're on our phones, head down. My my daughter, my daughter's on the phone a lot, and I'm starting to notice that there's like there's like her her neck is like arcing a little bit, and I'm just like, yo, you stand, you stand the fuck, you get that phone out of your hand, stand up, yeah, stand up, stand yeah. up straight. But I'm telling you, we're getting stupider and stupider. Jeez, <laughs> horns, that is, yeah, that is. horns in the back of your head. I mean, th- I mean, there's that whole theory of why the fuck are we wearing, you know, we have back pain because we're putting so much stuffing in our shoes there's so much padding we never needed that shit before now all of a sudden we're having these terrible back pains because now we're obsessed with these nike air shoes with the special shit on it i gotta be careful the kind of shoes i wear because we're 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 evolving into awfulness that's what's happening we're we're losing our we're losing our sense of of society we're losing our sense of civility we're fucking up our bodies with the dumbest things of imaginable Hmm. we're getting reverse muscles we're getting reverse muscles (laughs) We're just retraining our body for the a new future. Yeah, but the I've, dumbest future. Yeah. I've got this phrase that um, and we're actually having a sign made for the house at the top of the stairs. So when we come down yeah. each morning, it's the first thing you see is, is what if everybody did it? And I remember even as a kid, I used to think that all the time. You know, if, if you drop a piece of litter, what if everybody did it? We'd be in the shit. If you were to pick up a piece of litter on the floor, what if everybody did it? The world would be a much better place. But yet we're getting to that point where nobody gives nobody gives a shit about anybody else. It's all about them. So they want they want answers to questions. They're not thanking anyone. They you know it's it's just yeah, strange it, time to be alive. It, you know it, I it's a great time to be alive because obviously we're you know we're this is the we're the top of the food chain on Earth. But it's like it's the the nonsense we get stuck on. It's like it it, it is stunning. So Eric. I, I just don't. I, I think you're too helpful. I think that's what it comes down to. I mm. think Eric's too helpful. 
you need to you need to like not be so helpful to people because ultimately that's what happens. I get people who send me messages and they ask for help and then they're like, well, what about this? Well, what about that? And they don't answer the question. You're just like, well, that wasn't for, you know. Then all of a sudden, I'm being an asshole for not helping. Yeah, Mareko gets it all the time, all the time. He's the most helpful guy in the world. He's helpful to the point where he's doing he's showing people how you make the steel he makes, and then they're like, they're like. Can you think you could write it down? Or do you think you could send me a video? Maybe if you just did a video, it would help me out more. It's like, how much more helpful can you be? Crazy. He did did show me one of the DMs he had this week. I think you've seen it as well. Yeah. People, yeah, people are just crazy. I I got to tell you, I do like it when he sends me some of the DMs he gets. It it is pretty funny. He doesn't take it very well. And I I wouldn't either. It's just, I, I, I don't either. It's frustrating. It's super frustrating because you're, you're, you're listening to when you're dealing with the phone or you're dealing with the computer, you're getting the uncontrolled id. You're not getting like, let's be, you know, you're getting this, 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 you know, your, your, your deepest, darkest thoughts that are not uh, vetted or edited. So it's like these crazy, you're asking people, you're saying things that you're not even thinking, well, how is this person going to respond? I don't know. It's not a person. It's a screen. Ugh, there you go, Eric. Jesus Christ. This is like an episode of Beefs. <laughs> I know. I love it. I love it. We got to do that again. All right. This one, this one comes from Michael J. Budd. Hey, fellas, can I ask you a question? By the way, Michael J. Budd is an awesome blacksmith. Uh, in, uh, I think he's in the UK. Uh, hey, hey, fellas, can I ask you a question? I have an order to make tools for a basket weaver. Among the tools is a hook knife with a cutting edge on the inside of the hook. Any tips on grinding a blade like this? Ooh. And guess never, what? Never done one. Guess no. what? Guess what? It. I also like this question so much that I did a little bit of uh, research. And one of the people I asked was one of the uh, just an incredible um, bladesmith. I learned about him a while ago. Um, his name is, uh, let me just pop it up here. Uh oh. Did I lose it? Uh oh. Uh oh. God damn it, I lost it. It was from, oh my God, I can't believe it. I threw it away. Oh, do I have it right here? I got it. Oh, phew. Reed Schwartz. Now, Reed Schwartz is, he makes these incredible forged carving knives, spoon knives. Uh, he makes these, it's, it's, it's called a sloyd knife, I think, that, um, where it's a, a thin, uh, a thin knife that has a very bur- uh, a robust handle, and they're all forged. He does a beautiful job, and I actually reached out to him because this is kind of what he does. And this is what he said in regards to. So basically, the question is: Is I don't know if you've seen those spoon carving knives or those hook mm. knives. How do you how do you grind the inside of the knife? You know, you, if you're you're not doing both sides. You're I mean, you're going to do both sides. How do you grind get, the inside of the knife? Spe- yeah. yeah, how do you get in there? And this is what he said. If the curve is open enough, you just want to get in there with a small contact wheel. Chances are the type of knife we're talking about is a question mark shape with a closed curve. So access to the inside of the curve is a challenge. The asker probably needs to step away from a stationary grinder, clamp the blade in a vise, and go at it with a die grinder. I have one set up with the adjustable speeds and small freeable grinding stones. So you can get the burr up, and then you go in with your uh, hand grit finishes, and there you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Reed is a awesome. Actually, he was my uh, community showcase a few months ago. He's a he's an incredible a bladesmith, and he makes you know carving knives, and that's one of those things. Um, 
he actually had his, uh, yeah, and that's the best way to go. So what he was saying is to uh, tie it onto a vice and then go in there with your Dremel your, uh, your, and then bring that burr up and kind of go into it. Mm. The only way I was thinking a possible way of doing it is maybe use a, a small contact wheel and, and get in it that way. But, you know, it would need to be a fairly fair-sized blade to be able to do that, I think. Never well, given the, that a thought before. Never. Before. No. Well, there actually is. An, there's another thing. There's another thing that he mentioned that he that uh, is very uh, not not. It's 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 a technique that that uh, somebody he knows does where you're actually forging in the the hollow before you you're forging in the hollow before you uh, bend it over and it was it's one of those things is like he made the point and I, I'm being very loosey goosey to it because he was basically saying this is uh this is uh you know somebody who's specifically figured it out and a lot of people are ripping him off so mm-hmm. um without tr- without you know trying to be loosey goosey and you know vague there are other ways to do it but you know it's just a question of you want to be the guy who's doing other people's techniques and stuff mm, yeah yeah. Okay. CM underscore knives asks, Hey man, can I ask you a question? Do you guys have any tips for getting J hooks out of plunge lines? And Jeff, I know you do because I copy the same way you do it. Well, I mean, uh, a J hook and a lot of people, you know, I, when I, I actually was, you know, when, when I'm teaching people how to, I, I had to figure out a way to hand sand. So it was understandable right off the bat because a lot of times hand sanding in general is just so like, am I done? You don't even know. Hmm. So the J hook comes from when you're, when you're putting your pad, if you're, you, if you, let's just say you're making a pad, you, when you, when you, when you come towards yourself with the pad and then you head back. So what happens is, is you move slightly and then you make this hesitation mark that comes from the back of the pad, you know, and you make like the little use. So the most important thing is going back and forth all the time is what makes the J hooks. So if you were to start your pad at the plunge line and then come up and out and, you know, when you don't, you don't head back on the knife, you kind of lift it up at the end. The other thing is, is what happens with J hooks is if let's say your, your sanding stick is two inches by like an inch and a half, uh, from the front to the back. If you put the, if you put the pad down flat, the back of the pad is what's going to give you J hooks as well. So sometimes you, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to stick that pad, uh, or whatever your sanding stick is and almost lift the back up and then just do kind of clean pulls and what that'll do is that'll take away that hesitation mark because there's no way for you to go back does that make sense yeah 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 but that's a big thing like if you have your sanding stick flat flat on the on the uh when you put your sanding stick flat on the blade the 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 end closest towards you is going to create a j-hook automatically I think he's asking specifically about plunge lines. So mm-hmm. I, I normally don't have a plunge line. Um, my chef knives, the transition is sort of tapered. Um, but my last big order, about three, four weeks ago, uh, of steak knives, they, they wanted a plunge line. So the way I did that is is I copied you. You did it in a video where I used like a, like a wallpaper scraper. Um, and I put a basically put the sandpaper around that so you can get right in, right into that hard edge. Yeah. So basically it took a, sp- I, I was, I was getting so irritated because if you're, if you're, if the front end of a sanding stick is flat, you, you, you get the, the top of it always kind of knocks before you get in there. So what I started to do is I took a spackle knives or a spatula hmm. uh, um, and then I would wrap this, the paper around that. And then you have a very, very fine uh, 
edge. And then also it's got that flexibility so you can really kind of get a little bit more torque and then you can get in there. Um, and then sometimes I put some rubber on some and it is a good, I, the most important thing is, is to get in and then do a nice pull and then you, and then you pull out. Don't, don't stay on the, on the blade. You have to almost like do a swiping up towards you movement. I don't know yeah. if that was helpful or not. Are we ready to continue? Let's do another one. All right. This comes from CN Knives. Hey, you dirty dogs. Let me ask you a question. How do you cope with self-doubt and getting stuck in a rut? What are some ways you use to check yourself and get back on your game when you're feeling down and almost feel like quitting? Asking for a friend. <laughs> Man, I've, I've, I'm in that situation once every few months. Yeah. Um, and it's horrible because it just it just feels as if like what the hell am I doing here? What you know? If, maybe you're not enjoying it, whatever whatever reason it may be. But there's, there's no real answer. You just need to suck it up. I mean, the, what what helps me is having sort of day off of something. Try something that you've never done before. Learn something new. So maybe you've maybe you've never done a chef knife before, or maybe you've never done a hunting knife before. Just take the time and. Do, you know, do it slowly, take your time and, and learn something new. Quite often that will sort of rekindle the, you know, the whole reason you started doing this in the first place. It's super tough. It's super mm. tough because I get, I can get blue. Like my, my wife knows when I'm like, I'm heading down like a bad road and she kind of like mm. almost feels it coming on. Um, this week when I was grinding 50 knives all day for two days straight, it was like, it was mentally numbing, and then I, I would just be like, when is this going to be done? And all of a sudden, you're just not focused, and you can go down this depressing route. Easy. Mm. Or if you're not organized, or if you don't show up. if you don't, I, I talk about this only because, you know, and, and you guys are all nice in regards to how I'm very organized. I, if, if I didn't come into the shop organized, I, my day is a fucking wreck. Like, I literally have to, in my mind... I have to really visualize and like pump into myself exactly what I need to get done for the day. Because if I show up and I kind of deviate, I can be like, what am I doing? This is, I shouldn't be doing this now. Or I didn't get it. I didn't get these things done. And you start to feel bad about yourself. And then all of a sudden you kind of spiral out of control. Your mind is a, your mind is, is, is just, it's not, Sometimes it's not good. It's not good to be free thinking sometimes. Sometimes, you, I mean, it's true. I mean, sometimes if I just walk in here with no plan, I can spiral into depression quick. You know, and what am I doing? Or this isn't working or this is, you got to be like as organized as possible because then you get that satisfaction and you feel good about yourself when you got all those things done. And, you're just, and it's this realization like, hey, I'm not playing around or I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not convincing someone that i'm doing something that i'm not yeah and i find rewarded myself as well so let's say i've got i need to grind 50 blades out i'll say well if i can get this done by for example 2 p.m tomorrow i'll then head off to the beach and spend some time and you know and so you're giving yourself a reason to get through the thing that you don't want to be doing because you've got a reward afterwards that's the hardest part about working for yourself is Hmm. is is saying this i'm not playing in my shop I'm not fooling around. This is a job. This is work. This is this is how I'm going to succeed. And 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 if without it's it sucks, man. I feel for this guy because I can go down this quickly. I can go down this route quickly, and I just have to like occupy my time with being organized. 
and being like, this is what I have to get done today. This is what I have to get done before lunch. This is what I have to get done by the end of the day. This is what I have to get done by the end of the week. This is what I have to get done by the end of the month. Otherwise, you know, I'm just going to fool around. And I think we can all sort of slide down very quickly as well. So fast. And particularly we're looking, I mean, we've mentioned Instagram a few times, but, you know, for us knife makers, it's a big tool. But we're seeing people's highlights reel, remember. So everybody there you're looking at, they're going to have their days as well. It's, it's not all high fives and hand jobs. It's, oh, it's, Jesus uh, I, I really hope that my expression of it's not all high fives and hand jobs. High fives and, and lightning bolts doesn't get replaced with high fives and hand jobs because now it, it just sounds I like that's what. God damn you, Lockwood! You screwed me. On, you screwed me on a perfectly good line. Now everyone's going to be saying, "I know what Fader says." Fader doesn't say that. Craig says that. Hand jobs. Who wants yeah, a hand job I, I anyway? Think, I think we've covered that. It's it's yeah. Everybody gets it, and you, you need to find a way. It but, sucks. Know, everybody, everybody's different, but. Yeah, work through it, and it, you know it's temporary. It's temporary, and the other thing definitely. is, is the kind of people who work by themselves work by themselves for a reason. We're not hmm. like you know we're, we all have this vision of of happiness and of all this stuff we want to get done, but we're also we like being solitary. And it's sometimes when you're super solitary, if you don't have a game plan, you can. It happens. Ah, we said covered it. Just go, just get yourself some work done. Come on, man. <laughs> Alex underscore Loney asks, hey, man, can I ask you a question? Just bought himself a new 2x72 grinder and he needs a motor. And he's wondering, will he be able to get by with a one horsepower or does he need more? And he's asking if a VFD is worth it for someone who has little money. What do you think? It's, it's super hard to suggest, yes, it's worth it. You're talking it's super hard when I am, have two motors that are about to be, you know, shit the bed, and mm-hmm. I'm gonna just replace one of them. And I'm like waiting. I'm waiting for. I, I, I am cheap and stupid. If I had, if I could do it all over again, I would have gotten all VFDs. I love them, mm-hmm. and, but I don't know what the fuck is wrong with my head. I, I just can't get a hold of it. I, yeah, one horsepower is great. I think three quarter horsepower is fine too. Get yourself, you know, and then there are people who sell reconditioned motors. Uh, with motors, it's like you want to buy one. You want to get a, something good. Get something good and, and, you know, no one ever says I shouldn't have got that. I, I have only one piece of equipment I wish I shouldn't have, I, I should have got. But I don't want to say it. You, one of your old sponsors I wish I had got. <laughs> I know who you're talking about. <laughs> I, use, I use mine all the time. I love uh, it. I wish I had got that. But that's fine. <laughs> old sponsor old sponsor yeah. yeah but no i mean i think one horsepower i mean mine is a one horsepower that the two machines i've got and they've never stalled out on me it's it's more than enough power um i've got one with the vft and one without the one with the vft is now my go-to for for everything the other one just basically sits out the most a big paperweight um yeah. but but i know what it's like you know if, if you've got a little money and you deciding you, you at the end of the day you need a grinder you get that grinder up and going um, I'm not sure whether you can retrofit a VFD to all motors. I'm not sure. No so idea. May- maybe that's something worth looking at. Um, maybe you can buy a motor and use that for now, then later stick a VFD on that same motor. I'm not sure. I'm sure some of our listeners will know. So if you know, let us know. Stick it Stick it up on a story or reply to us, and we- we'll share it to Alec. But, you know, I, I no one ever says, I w- you know, when they're upgrading to a grinder, no one ever says, I wish I'd never got that 2x72 grinder. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah, yeah. They're like, what did I, why did I wait so long? Why did I wait so long is always the question. Okay, should we move to another one? 
Yeah. Go on then. Oh, it's me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Don't edit that. I didn't realize. I didn't realize. Go on then. All right. All right. This comes from Mr. Big Jeep. Question for someone who grew up in the wine and food industry. We as an industry build our reputation on constructive criticism. I'm still laughing from going then. Uh, uh, we as an industry uh, build our reputation on constructive criticism. Do knife makers like it? Uh, like to hear from their customers? Let's say I get a knife from a well-established journeyman smith and the grinds are off. Am I a dick to point, point them out? Um, not at all. If you're not happy with something, let, yeah. and I'm sure the the maker would want to know as well. If something's not, if you're not 100 percent happy with it, they'd want to know. Yeah. But but yeah, it's, <laughs> as a maker, it's horrible when you get those emails because I've had one or two over the years. It's horrible, but it it certainly makes me a a better maker because I'll make damn sure that you know that mistake isn't happening again. Exactly. And it could be some. It could be an oversight that you know that that they they're not aware of even. Who knows? You know what? I actually have changed uh, back in the day. I, my knives used to be super, super thick. And I, because of, I would get people saying, ah, I'm not used to something like this, or this isn't really cutting the way I expected to. I made adjustments in my design based on criticism. If, so, if everyone loves your knives all the time, you think, all right, well, I don't have anything to change. But if you start to get like, all right, well, this is something that bothers me. Or like I made a knife a long time ago for a friend of mine and he was like, you know, it's, it, it kind of hurts my finger uh, going against the, the heel, the choil. He didn't say the choil, obviously didn't know what that word was. He's like, can you round it? I was like, oh, I never even thought about that a long time ago. And then based on his, his um, criticism, well, not criticism, it was a suggestion. Hmm. I changed the way I do all the choils in my knife. So you end up learning. It sucks to get criticism. It sucks for someone, it, you know, it sucks when somebody says something, you don't want, you, you get that pit in your stomach where you're just like, yeah. oh God, I fucked up or, or I'm useless or I'm the worst person in the world or I'm garbage. This sucks. I don't know why I did this anymore. Why do I wake up in the morning, you know, hand jobs and high fives, you know, but you, it does make you better. It does make you better because all of a sudden you're just like, well, I don't want this shit to happen again. Um, constructive criticism is good. And I, the funny thing is I don't look for it. Like I, I have some sort of like, I, 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 when I was walking around, like I said, we at the blade show, all these people bring their knives to be critiqued. And mm-hmm. in my mind, I'm thinking, what the fuck do you care what these people have to say? And it was really like, it was like they were getting a lot. A lot of people get a lot of information from other knife makers on how they make their knives and things that they could point out. And it's helpful, but I, I think I'm too fragile. I think I have too fragile of an ego. I think I've been critiqued as an artist so long that I've had it that I'm just not willing to like let myself accept, you know, criticism. Yeah. I'd say, I mean, yeah, point out the, if it's, if you think it's a mistake or if you think it could be improved upon, point it out, but do it in a respectful way. There's no need to, you know, to go at this guy. Just say, you know. And it's also based on price. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, thousand dollar knives get thousand dollar problems you know yeah. and i think that uh you know it's based on you know if, if, if you know i think a lot of times when you if you have a knife that's inexpensive uh, usually people overlook certain things mm. not that that's good or bad it's just uh you know yeah. it's not really just on the let them know just be nice i think it's yeah was that really but just don't be a dick about it i mean i think yeah. when he says am i a dick to point it out why well, you know 
conversation is a is a combination lock, and you open that combina- combination if you have the right, you know, you get it across what you want if you have the right combination. So just don't call someone, you know, just don't write something kind of assholey. There's a lot of people who who have the they're not very uh, adept at the art of conversation. So they they sound like an asshole. And when you read an email, <laughs> you read it like they're being the worst asshole possible. So I think that you need to kind of spoonful of sugar this shit. You know, just give them a little bit of, hey, man, hope you're well. I hope the family's well. Thanks again. By the way, this knife sucks. You don't do it it's like the, the that, you know. shit sandwich, isn't it? So you start with a compliment. Then give him the shit, then end with a compliment. Yeah, that's also referred to as the smack and tickle. You know about the smack and tickle? <laughs> no, no. That's what you do. We, we used to call it the smack and tickle because what you would do is you'd say something harsh and then follow it up with something, you know, you break them down and then you build them back up. Hmm. So I was, I used to love the smack and tickle because I would say something super harsh and then I'd be like, hey, you know what though? You did a great job here, or there, the other thing. And, I, I, I like the smack and tickle. It is it is very uh, it is an aggressive form of communication because you're putting someone. It's like sucker punching someone and then giving them a, like a little kiss. It's it's really it's it's, it's very uh, it isn't right really. The smack and tickle is brutal. I grew up with the smack and tickle. All right, so here we are. Let's talk about our next sponsor, our new sponsor, awesome sponsor. Indasa USA. Indasa USA are the people who make RhinoWet. And they are, it's, I'm telling you, I learned about RhinoWet when I was uh, watching uh, Nick Wheeler videos and he was talking about RhinoWet. I'd never seen it in the stores. RhinoWet is by far a much better abrasive uh, sandpaper for whatever. I usually buy uh, sheets that I use for hand sanding, but I also have sheets that I use for the disc sander. And what you can do is you can actually cut the excess off and use the excess for hand sanding. I love RhinoWet. I've been pushing RhinoWet. Everybody who uses RhinoWet realizes that it is a superior abrasive to the stuff that you're buying. In, it's, um, it's a time saver. Massive super time saver. Time saver. It's super aggressive. I don't know why. I don't know how they figured it out, but Audacity USA does a great job. And now you're starting to see more companies stocking RhinoWet, including. Our sponsor, Texas Farrier Supply. Texas Farrier Supply have been on board with us for a long time. They've been a super good, super bunch. I've been, we've been uh, kind of back and forth with them for a while. They listen to the podcast, and they are going to save you ten percent off on your RhinoWet by putting in Knife Talk Ten when you're buying from Texas Farrier Supply. Is that just RhinoWet? Well, it's a dirty little secret that if you use Knife Talk 10, you'll actually get 10% off all their products. All right. So go to Texas Farrier Supply and get yourself some RhinoWet. Look at all the other stuff they have. They just posted anvils and stuff like that. They have, they have all sorts of great stuff. Um, knife supply stuff, blacksmithing stuff, uh, farrier supply stuff. And then you put Knife Talk 10 and you get 10% off. So thank you, Indasa USA. Uh, thank you, Texas Farrier Supply. Get your RhinoWet. Boom. There we are. There we go. Let's get on with another question. So this one is from E.G. Burt Joe. That's Egbert. I like E.G. Burt. It's Egbert. Egbert with one G. Egbert Joe. That's a great name, Egbert Joe. <laughs> Hello, men. <laughs> Can I, before he started, before he started, before he started, there's a kid who, uh, the time that you weren't on, the time you weren't on, we had a message from a guy named Caleb, and and uh, Mareko called him KLB, 
And I said, it's not KLB, it's Caleb. So now I get messages from Caleb, and I always call him KLB now. It's such a better name. So Egbert Joe, we're with you. You and KLB got to get together. Hello, men. I'm a new blacksmith, and I've worked on a few knives. I've got a number and letter stamp set uh, to do initials and dates on his work, but he's having a hard time being consistent on the spacing and lining them up straight. Do you have any tips on how to do this better? These stamps are are awful, and one of the one of the main reasons why is when they make these stamps, and usually letter stamps are on the cheap side. And I know you, Egbert Joe, you're probably buying the cheapest set possible. They they don't they don't they're not a hundred percent. Sometimes they're not a hundred percent square on the on the stamp. So like ah. the L could be off a of hair. So the, a lot of times that happens. What I used to do and I hate I hate stamp. I hate I hate it when people want their initials on the knife. It drives me fucking crazy. I hate it. It's like it's such your fucking knife. You you didn't make this knife. All right, you need you need your initials on it, like a monogram. Come on. So I used to do the stamps and then what I would do was I would actually have a piece of wood next to the stamps and then I would kind of like do a practice hit to see how it lined up and I would know that if it was off, you know, like clockwise 15 degrees or whatever degrees, I would just kind of like compensate. I usually do like a, a I don't do a scribe line. I'll do like a, a Sharpie line and then I'll just practice. But the wood allows me to kind of embed the print, the, the stamp on the wood. And I can see where that wood, where the stamp is oriented on the stamp. Mm. It sucks. And you have to like make the point where it's just like, well, that's the hand part of it. It's it's this, you know, it's supposed to look a little bit shitty. Yeah, I I don't know. I've never done it, but could you, um, let's say the letters or the initials, or whatever, are quite small. Could you tape right. a bunch of the um, stamps together? They're and do actually that initial hit, and then from then on, you can do them individually to get. Well, hit? here's the problem with all those. If you're doing it cold and hot, are are, are totally different. You can get – I've seen this company. They sell like a little like – a, like a rack that you can kind of slide them all together. The mm. problem is is one of – usually with those stamps is the spacing's weird. So like they're not really meant to be, you know, side by side. There's almost – the spacings is a little yeah. bit strange. The kerning of the letters, yeah. Right. It's, it, 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 it's, it's not really uh, optimal. Um, I, I think that you got to practice. I think that's the hardest part. Um it, the, it, the spacing's weird. I know that a lot of people do them. I, and the other thing is with the stamps are sometimes the way they make the stamps, depending on how you're driving them in, there's too much. There's not. They're not high enough off the stamp itself. So what I do is for my uh, my touch mark, I had to grind away or chase away a lot of the excess material. So when I was grinding it, I would get the Superman symbol on my um, or whatever I would stamp because I'd stamp it so hard, I would go all the way down to the bottom of the. Uh, oh, yeah. indentation and I would get the seal too so I hate I don't like I don't like stamping at all it's just too and then the other thing is is if you don't have it held nicely it shoots out of your it shoots out of your whatever you're holding it on and if I I've blown through two windows with a goddamn letter E Egbert <laughs> it's the worst I hate stamping I hate it E.G. Bert Joe Egbert Egbert you gotta it sucks and the other thing is is if you don't if you try to do a light tap and then a hard tap if you're not if it doesn't feel like it's sitting in there really really good you get that hologram that double tap and then you've ruined it the double tap is the worst if you don't have it 100 percent right so 
I say get electro etching. Get an electro etch. Or get a laser gun. Or a laser printer. Whatever the hell that thing is. Egbert. All right. This next one comes from Dave Irving underscore Evader Knives. Better, uh, uh, how can we pull together as a community to push, n- to push that knives aren't weapons? Just a small part, uh, everyone uses, uh, just a small part, everyone uses knives every day and it's not just for food. So how are we going to, <laughs> this is the, this is the question of questions right here. I, mm. It's, it's this thing, isn't it? It's the media at the moment. They're only really demonizing knives because there's, you know, there's a, there's a culture of a very, very small, minute part of the, part of these communities out there that are using knives uh, for violence and all the rest of it. But it, it's such a, a minute part. Yeah, but I mean... What can you do? It's, can, it's there's, not, there's, there's, just, there's just so few people doing that. But if you listen to the press, you'd think that everybody's up to it. Yeah, it's, but people have been cutting people for fucking millions of years. Yeah. As soon as, I mean, as soon as a, a knife was made, somebody got speared or somebody got cut up. You know, mm. I, this is this is like the oldest story in the book. I mean, unfortunately, people are going to figure out ways to hurt each other, whether it's a knife or. And the other thing is, is you know, knives are are intimidating. They're intimidating yeah. objects. You know, you, you never you never you hear somebody get stuck up with a dildo. You know, people people don't get. <laughs> no one's ever been involved in dildo crime. You know, there's no. I mean, seriously, go find me an article about somebody got robbed with a fucking dong. You know, I got to Google that. It's going to be <laughs> You better. It's you, not going to happen. You keep I'm going to find it. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. These are objects people realize are going to, are, are perfectly good for, are, are, the, it's not just the physical uh, intimidation, but it's the, it's, the, it's the terror of the mental intimidation. Here we no, go. Here you we go. I found get two. Get the fuck out of here. You didn't find two. Go ahead. Go a ahead. A guy in Pittsburgh robbed a bank with a vibrator. Get that's the fuck on, out of here. That's Is that true? Was it like, sec- but he pulled it out? Uh, or was it like in his pocket? 35-year-old so, yeah. Aaron Stein was arrested on Monday after robbing a PNC bank in the Pittsburgh. With, with a sex tie. Um, the next one is woman, woman fights off armed robber with a dildo at a sex shop. Well, that's what, you know what that is. I mean, that's self-defense right there. That is, that was a, that's a, that's a heroic story. A heroic fought, story. Fought no off one... the armed robber by throwing dildos at him. <laughs> yeah, hey, listen, that's the way to go. But that's a, but that is a story of heroism. That's a story oh, of defending your property with dildos. I'm talking about, there are no, there are no dildo stick-up jobs. There aren't. You're never going to find... Maybe the guy with the vibrator tried to rob that bank. I, I got a feeling he didn't pull it out. He didn't pull that dick out to rob the bank. You'd have, to have, in his ba- pocket. you'd have to have batteries with you. You'd have to be charged up all the time. It's well, too you'd much, probably too do that thing where you, too much where, you, where you make the, the finger gun and then you stick it in your pocket and you make it look like you're... Uh, don't move. I'm, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is a stick-up. <laughs> Nobody move. Nobody move. I got to No, this didn't happen. No, listen. They're, they're ultimately what's got to happen is it's got people who make uh knives have got to say all right. Listen, these are for these this is what I make these for. Hmm. And you have to, you know, there should be instead of worrying about uh, you know, legislature, you know, stopping the sale of things, you have to you have to try to tell people, look, this isn't for intimidating people. Or I don't want you to do this. Or I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I definitely, I definitely, you definitely have a, there's a different opinion about people who, who have chef knives versus people who have 
you know, EDC or whatever. Hmm. I don't know what the answer is. I, I It sucks. It, it sucks for a lot of people who are trying to do good things. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, I do remember that my, uh, I think my sister was asking me, I was, I was going to California with some, uh, when I, with, uh, for, with, uh, for a thing and I brought the knives with me and they said, did they let you, how did you get on the plane? I'm like, well, I put them under the plane. I, I checked them and they yeah, said, yeah. why does that, how is that legal? I'm like, what are you talking about? You could, yeah, you got to cook something. You got to cook with something. And I, I said, I didn't put it in my pocket. I put it under yeah. the under the plane. And it was just this. She had this opinion about the the about you know what the knife was going to be used for. I'm like, eh, for fucking cutting onions, you know. Hmm. That, that's the thing. If you check in on a plane, you don't have access to it. It's perfectly. But safe, I think that. But... but I think that you know. I also have another family relative who, when they see one of my knives, they say that is such a that's a killer thing right there. That's a, it's a killer thing, as in like it's vicious looking. And I'm like, ah, you got to cut your crust off your sandwiches somehow. I, I think that there's this mental, I think we should just start, you know, I think the key are limp dicks. You got to make some limp dick knives, you know, and you got to make some, or pickles, make your knives look like the handles look like pickles or, or limp dicks. And maybe, maybe you'll change people's opinion. I, th- I think we're, at the moment, it's hot in the media, and I think in six months' time, there'll be something hot in the media, and people will move on. Yeah, tennis rackets. Yeah. We got to exactly. outlaw Dang- tennis dangerous rackets. Dangerous tennis rackets, yeah. Well, but, it, yeah. but, but the clear, clearly, people are, when a victim will be more intimidated by an object that's used in violence versus something that won't be used. No one's going to rob you with a pillow. No one's going to rob you with a, you don't, you don't get nervous if someone's holding a broomstick. You know, there's a, there is a connotation for centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries of knives and swords being used for violence. And, and you're never going to, it's like, you're never going to be not afraid of monsters. I don't know where I get with that. I say we go back to the dildos. Start making dildos. (laughs) Let's, let's do one more each. So I'll, I'll I'll take one here from, um, handsome Mick. Hey, you cuties. It's your boy from Canada again. He says his shop is almost done. Just need to run the electrical bits. Um, the question is, there are no schools near me. Is there an online program you would recommend, or should I just suck it up and travel to a school? He's having a hard time with this decision, um, as he's just a weekend warrior stage in the craft. Cheers, guys. It sucks. What do you man. think? So he's got, he's got nowhere locally where he can go to learn, and he's wondering if there's anywhere online where he can take a good course. Well, there, you know, it's interesting because, you know, there is a need. There's a need. And there's there's obviously there's places like the New England School of Metalwork, the Center for Metal Arts. But there's not like places you can go. I know that uh, Robert Labash out in Arizona has a lot of classes. Uh, I might be doing something with him pretty soon. Um, it's hard. It's fucking hard. And now there's I know guys, friends of ours, uh, Noah Vashon is starting to get ready to teach some classes. He did some, uh, you know, some weekend classes to kind of get people, uh, you know, to fool around. He did a nice job. His, his team did a nice job. It's hard. And it, you, you want to say go to schools. You don't you want to say don't learn everything on the Internet. But if you're away from every if you're if you're nowhere near anybody, it it becomes it's easier said than done. Hmm. You know. I think that, um, and I suppose there's no substitute for you know being with somebody in the room. No, you know, there is online, no You're going to learn a bit, but it won't be the same. I've said the same thing a million times. Forging is one of those things you can't learn learn by, and until you actually feel how how the metal moves under the hammer, you have no idea. 
you, all of a sudden you're just like, wow, this wasn't anything like I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be like hitting a piece of bubble gum. It's not like that at all. I think that, um, especially in Canada, I think you need to use the, you know, you need to search the internet for something close by. I think I do believe taking a class at New England School of Metalwork, going taking a class at the uh, Center for Metal Arts will propel you incredibly. Getting involved with the ABS, they do a lot of, uh, they they sell a lot of DVDs, eh, the greatest DVDs. But other than that, they're very, um, they're helpful. I know Jay Nielsen does a set of DVDs, they're supposed to be awesome. There's a lot of people out there trying to help fill that educational gap. And it's something going to have to happen, you know. Mm. I think it's yeah. worth it. I think taking a class is worth I've never taken a class I didn't think it was worth it. But, you know, I hear you. Okay. Okay. Well, the next one is going to be from... Let's go with... This comes from... Hosey. Hosey Custom Knives. Hose Custom Knives. Hey, cuties. Where do you all like to travel... That is not knife related, such as uh, such as shows. Where do you go to relax with your family and friends? I take a week every summer and travel to Wyoming to visit friends and I fly fish. Nice. So where? Very yeah. Nice. Where do you go for to relax? Um, at the moment, I'm I'm almost splitting my time between the UK and France, so it does feel as if I'm always traveling. But you know, we haven't really had a a family holiday for uh, two years. We went to, we went to um, Rhodes in Greece, which is a beautiful place. Wow. Hoping to go back again next year, actually. But, um, yeah, I, I travel is just part of my sort of every day at the moment, so I'm not really taking time out to go traveling on, on holiday in as such. Yeah. Well, what about you? Well, my wife and I, since we've been together, uh, we've been, we always used to go down to the Virgin Islands. We used to go to St. John, specifically. Mm-hmm. It's a small... You have to... It's hard to get to because you have to fly into St. Thomas and then take a taxi to a, to a, a, a ferry to get to St. John. It's, it's St. John is like a very uh, a lot of national park, and we're so we're so stupid and cheap. We always go in the uh, height of hurricane season. So we when we have gone, we've gone about five times. We haven't gone in a few years. It's life has been too hard lately to to to, to a drip like that. But we always get hit. It's beautiful, and it's not very touristy because it's so much national park. And what happens is we always go in the end of August, and we always get hit with a hurricane. Always. We get evacuated, and we're like, ah, we're never going to do this again. Like, Let's go back again. They're good, cheap tickets now. It's off season. And then we get <laughs> the fucking the pain. Here's yeah. what the we did. We got hit with the hurricane two times. Two times. One year after the next, we stay at the same place. And the second, they evacuated us the first year. And then the second year, the guy came up to me and says, we've never had to evacuate the same people two years in a row. So what we're going to do is we're just going to give you one of the main buildings, uh, one of the main houses. We're going to screw you into the, into the, into the, into there. So uh, what do you mean screw us into there? We're gonna we're gonna they took plywood and they screwed they screwed all the windows shut while we were in there and gave us a gave us a walkie talkie and some water and we got we sat Jesus, through the hurricane. Happy holidays. Yeah. Wow. And we're like, this is great. We don't have to we can be evacuated. And we're like, this sucks. We're screwed into a building. So uh yeah, we used to it wasn't very relaxing, that's I must say. 
But it reminds uh, me of our honeymoon. So five years ago, when we got married, my wife and I, we went to the Amalfi Coast in Italy um, right. to uh, Sorrento. Beautiful, beautiful place. Um, but, um, Pompeii is there, and Mount Vesuvius, which is the big uh, sure. volcano. And you can do the walk up there. And there's there's these roads there that have been there for like two thousand years. These old sort of dirt track yeah. that you can walk up. Um, so we went up. I'm wearing you know shorts, t-shirt, and I was wearing you know like flip flops, and you know it was boiling hot day. We got to the top, and this almighty storm came, and it's the worst they've had. And it was ice was falling down, and people were bleeding when the ice was hitting them. It was horrendous. It was like oh a my disaster, disaster zone. So, so these roads, yeah, hail, yeah. So these roads that have been there for two thousand years, some of those just disappeared. And there was these like little lodges every now and again, every sort of few hundred meters. And people were just getting in there, rammed in, sh- freezing cold, shaking. We got down to the bottom. Of, they had to call the army out to remove trees and stuff so we can, they can get up on the road to, to get us back down. So we get back down and there's people being taken straight to hospital because they had all these horrible sores on their body from the, oh. from the ice and so oh on. My God. It was crazy. So we spent the next two days of our honeymoon literally just in the hotel room like, we're not going out. We're not going anywhere. I'm, I'm imagining you slipping around on those slip flip flops. Oh, it was terrible. Just it miserable. Was, yeah. Oh, yeah. flip. The only time I've genuinely feared for my life. And like I said, these roads have been there for two thousand years, and they just disappeared. It was just this freak storm. Huh. Yeah. So disasters on holidays. So, yeah. There I, I you go. The feeling. We 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 we're 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 not doing a good job on where we should be relaxing. <laughs> no. That's where we go. We're doing a terrible job on where we should be relaxing. And then they got Ugh. stuck up with a guy with a dildo. Next thing you know. <laughs> right, I, I am going to read one more question. Where is it? I just yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Just a second. I'm having a good time. So here's a question from Gabe Jensen09. What's the optimal thickness when it comes to chef knives? Um, I'll, I'll kick off. I'll start with this because... Okay. I used to I used to be quite thick. I used to go for sort of three three point five mil when I first started making knives. Right, and I think that was down to being nervous about using a much thinner stock. But I always knew it needed to be thinner. Um, but all of my knives now they're all using a two point five millimeter stock. Um, so I don't know what that is in inches. I don't have or, my make everything uh, make everything shop uh, conversion thing, but yeah. I would imagine it's probably close to. I would imagine it's probably three thirty seconds. Right. Okay. But yeah, 2.5 mil, I use my chef knife, even my steak knives are 2.5 mil as well. That's my sort of standard across the board now, unless somebody asks for something specifically thicker. Well, it, it, it is interesting because I actually started to make, I started out, my knives back in the day were like three sixteenths. They were thick as fuck. And it was like a ridiculous. And um, then I went to eighth for a long time. And now I've been doing three thirty seconds for all my chef knives for all my um, three thirty seconds for the chef knives, the oyster knives I like to go a little bit on the thicker side, so I go with eighth. I used to do five thirty seconds, but I like eighth eighth inch uh, steel for the uh, oyster knives. Hmm. For the fillet knives and the thinner stuff, I've been using sixteenth a lot, and I've been uh, that's been really really successful in terms of something more uh, uh, flexible. So I've been using sixteenth for my fillet knives. Uh, I've been doing a charcuterie knife that's like super super flexible. Um, yeah, th- I like the sixteenth. I actually made a chef knife that I use at home at a sixteenth, and it's just a little too thin. It's a little bit too whippy mm-hmm. um, as an uh, everyday knife. I kind of want. I was thinking, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna make sixteenth inch knives, 
But also the other thing is, is that the, when you're in the pinch grip, the spine is so is so thin that it also thin, kind of yeah. it hurts and it kind of cuts you a little bit. I love three thirty seconds, and for my uh, kind of outdoor knives, I go with eighth inch. And once in a while, when I'll do, I have a, I have a big one that I uh, use a three sixteenths. But cool. yeah, I like three thirty. I think three thirty seconds is a really very uh, well, and this is all for all from three uh, thirty seconds for uh, my stainless. Yeah. You know, sometimes for I'll, with if I'm doing carbon steel, I'll do eighth because I like a little bit more material when I'm quenching. Got you. So three thirty. So I've just done the conversion. That's that's about two point four mil. So pr- pretty much what I'm using yeah. as well, actually. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's a great size for culinary knives. It's a great size. It's a great yeah. size. Okay, so let's talk about our next sponsor, which is the New Jersey Steel Baron. So if we're talking steel. That's the place to get it. They do steel in small billets. They do big sheets. Any dimension that you want, they can get hold of it. They've got a huge variety of, of round stock, of sheet steel, anything you need. Um, they've also got a great water jet cutting service. And I know plenty of people use it. I know Jeff uses yeah. for oyster knives and, and so on. My banditos. Set- all my banditos I use. They did, they did a great job. And I didn't have to give them a, a, a computer drawing. I just gave them a template, and they it was exactly wow. that. It was exact. Exact. So go take a look. They've got a new website coming soon, but give them a call. Give them a call, whatever you need. They'll be able to sort you out. I said they've got the water jet curtain service. Um, as Jeff said, they'll even sort you up with, with doing the drawing. So if you're not very technical, they'll do all the CAD stuff for you. They've got it sorted. Steel in any dimension, any quantity as well. So if you want to you try a different steel just to, just to see how it'll work for you, give them a call. They've got some there for you. There you go. Craig's Community Showcase. Okay, this is the bit where we'd like to give a shout out to people within the community. Um, and mine this week, I'm going to go jump straight in, is Dunn underscore Bladeworks. So Dunn, D-U-N-N underscore Bladeworks. They hail from um, Fingal Ferguson's country. They're Irish. Um, and he makes just really great kitchen knives. And both Japanese and Western styles, the fit and finish on these is just, just, just beautiful. So go take a look at Dunn Bladeworks um, and just have a look at the, some of the stuff. So, beautiful hammons on 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 the knives just really really clean pretty looking work go take a look all right well i i'm gonna give a shout out to someone we've ever mentioned today and who has been just been super supportive eric underscore markman e-r-i-k underscore markman he's a dutch abs journeyman smith he makes beautiful knives he makes a lot of they're just the handles are very robust uh, he does a lot of stuff, uh, beautiful Damascus, a lot of, I'm looking at all of them right now. I love the way he carves his handles. Um, he's really, he's a very, his, his work is very, very stunning. He's a super guy. I got to meet him at the Blade Show. He listens to the podcast. He's apparently writing down a list of all the things he's mad about. Apparently he, he yells at the radio when I, when I say things, which is, or whatever he's listening to, he yells at the, the the podcast, which I appreciate. Uh, he's a super supportive guy. Um, and Eric, I, I, uh, I'm appreciative of everything you're doing. I'm looking at some of these handles of these knives, and they're incredible. His, his fit and finish, his shapes, they're classic. He makes a classic, beautiful fighting knives, and um, they are just, they are stunners. They are stunners. So Eric underscore Markman. There you go. Boom. Go, go follow. That's it. Quick! 
Uh, this is on, this is our, this is the time where we yell, yell or bitch or moan or this is our really unnecessary, this is an unnecessary but enjoyable part of the podcast called Where's the Beef, where we bitch and moan. So I have to think about what I'm going to complain about. It'll probably be something dumb. And, uh, with that said, Craig, what's your beef? Talking of dumb, Craig. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what's what's going let me hold you up and what's going on what's what's, um, what's are you pissed beefs. off about so yesterday i spent a few hours walking around this knife show in roasting hot heat with with babies crying it was it was crazy but um shitty displays at knife shows and i'm sure we've all seen them if somebody has these these tables and they sit behind their table and some people go to great efforts and they present their work beautifully and it's really nice there was people there and they'd obviously spent a lot of time making their knives and they just sort of almost just threw them on a table. There was, there was no order. You had to sort of dig through to, to have a look. And these knives are pretty expensive. And they're there and they're chatting to the storeholder next to them. They, they don't even, you know, have a look at who's looking at their knives. There's no conversation there. They've got, they've got a bottle of wine on the go. So, they're, you know, they're quite happily having a chat with their neighbour. And I'm thinking, why the hell are you here? You're not presenting your knives in a good light at all. I mean, if you're here to sell knives, I don't think you're going to be selling any because you're not even holding eye contact with people looking at the knives. It was just baffling, just absolutely baffling. And there was plenty of them. And they're, they're generally older guys. I said they're, they're sitting back, they've got a drink on the go, and they're just they're there for. Yeah, I think but, they're just there for the chat with. But they've neighbor. done all the hard work. Maybe that's exactly. the maybe that's the finish line. Maybe that's the finish line of like. Because I used to be that way in terms of like uh, when I was getting ready for art shows, I'd work, 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 and then hand the work to the to the gallerist, and I'd be like, "Now it's your problem." Now, and I would, I, I just like crash out. But Call if you've it. done the hard work, this is this is the fine, this is the reveal, this is the exciting bit, this is sh- sharing your work with people, and there was just no care whatsoever. It was just uh, terrible on this this old cruddy table, and you know, I imagine the tables were put there ready for the. For the people, but they didn't bring any sort of cloth to cover the table, and they'd literally just thrown their knives down, opened a bottle of wine, and they're cracking on with a good conversation with their neighbour. It was crazy to see, crazy. That's my beef. That's you know, my beef. Well, but I mean, you know, I think that you know that's a pretty fair beef. You're 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 looking for a little bit of razzle dazzle, yeah. And these guys are all piddled out. They're just like they don't care. I was, uh, buy my knives or don't buy. I, I, I would buy beef would be if I was the knife maker there. Why the fuck am I selling knives next to other people? Selling yeah. knives. It's like yeah. selling hamburgers at a hamburger convention. God bless you. Well, I'm going to revisit an old beef, which is, you know what you should do. And this is something that we get a lot. And poor Moreco gets in a pile. But people sneak into our DMs and then they. Right into the DMs. That's right. They're, they're, they're giving you unsolicited advice, unsolicited advice. And uh, the only thing I, recently I was uh, I just came back from I picked my daughter up from summer camp and we always go down to this famous uh, Connecticut pizzeria. It's called Frank Pepe's. It's one of the first families that's brought pizza to the United States and they brought it in New York. And I guess there's all these families and they all busted up and Frank Pepe went up in Connecticut and a guy said and I got we go there every year. And we get, uh, they're known for uh, uh, their, their tomato pies, but they're also known for their white clam pizza. So it's like, oh, it's, and they're unbelievable. And it's, it's, it's just an incredible pizza. 
And a guy snuck into my, I posted a picture, a guy snuck in and he says, oh, you know what you should do? You should go down the street to, I, I already ate it. I'm not, what, do, I, what am I going to do? I'm going to read my DMs and say I fucked up. I should have gone somewhere else. I got I to gotta send the pizza back and go down the street because dick face McGillicuddy told me that I should, I'm going to the wrong pizza place. <laughs> You know what you should do? You should, I don't. I hate you know what you do. Poor Mareko got it. Somebody who's giving him fritz about how 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 uh, you know you should do is you know I know you're this is an expensive knife. You should make you should make knives for people to afford. Well, fuck you. How do you like that? You know what you should do? You should fuck away off. It's so stupid. I don't. It's, this goes back to this whole idea of uh, having conversations with people. You would never go up to someone and say you would never. I mean, unless you were a sociopath, you'd never go up to someone and say, hey, I like your knives. You should make cheaper ones so I can afford them. You wouldn't do that. You would never do that. No, but you write, no. on a, you write on someone's thing, and it's just like, hey, listen, congratulations, but you, know, you should make cheaper knives. Fuck you. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I, a guy, I told you this a couple months ago. A guy says to me, he's like, when are you going to make knives for the working man? And I wrote back, I wrote back, uh, well, I mean, how am I supposed to fill my yacht up? You know, it's just like, fuck you, man. Don't tell me what I should. Just because you can't do it, that doesn't mean I have to do it. Hmm. We've talked before. I mean, there's levels to the game. But, you know, you sort of set a price on the, on the level you're at. And, yeah, I'm, we'd all love everybody to have our knives. But, you know, there's but a certain amount of time that goes into that. And but everybody, everybody wants to be important into your decision making. Yeah. Like what pizza you're getting. Don't get, you know, God forbid we started with the pineapple pizza again. You know, everyone's sending me these pine. I get more pineapple pizza DMs than anybody. It's like, it's ridiculous that people still talk about the goddamn pineapple pizza. Thanks again, Dave. Damascus Dave did, a, did this, and now all of a sudden I'm married to the goddamn pineapple pizza thing. But, you know, I, what I was going to ask you after the beef. Go ahead. Generally, generally, they get, they get pretty... Uh, we get pretty down with the beefs, you know. I was then going to just change things up and say, what's the best thing you've eaten this week? Oh. But you've said as part of your beef. Uh, actually, I'll tell you what the best thing I cook. I, one of the best things I've made was coming back from Barcelona. I, the, the food in Barcelona is so great. And part of the reason why is because it's super simple, you know, clean ingredients put together uh, in a smart way. Um, and I've always liked the uh potato it's called a tortilla in spain and it's not the mexican tortillas are what you wrap your tacos in but a tortilla is like an omelet and we're not going to go back into that whole omelet bullshit that we did a couple yeah, months the, ago the spanish omelet the, thick the spanish one, yeah. omelet yeah you're basically cooking potatoes down and then you're making um you know you're making this it's 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 potatoes and onions there's different things you can do and i made this potato um tortilla and you can eat it cold it's great cold it's great. i loved it it was so much it was so delicious but uh the frank pepe's clam pizza is like uh it just blows your brains out it's so good and i know for some reason you're not supposed to have cheese with clams but it was a fucking dynamite pizza coal oven so it's also a little it's 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 like one of those pizzas that takes like 90 seconds or something like that so it's mm. like super crispy on the bottom and nice. it's just a dynamite Dynamite pizza. I love pizza. Needless yeah. to say, it was the first meat I'd had in almost a week. I've been on a cleanse. Really? I, oh, I've been on a cleanse for the past two weeks. I had one, uh, not slip up, but we went to a concert and I went to a friend's restaurant and I had some meat at his restaurant. But I was like, I've been vegetarian for the most part for two weeks and um, no booze either. You so, feeling, feeling better for it? 
Um, you know what? When you're eating your your some some of the sh- I, I the funny thing about cooking vegetarian is a lot of time is you know you learn how to cook things better. There there were some nights where you're just like pushing it in and just you know not, just you're making it happen. Yeah. But uh, I liked it. I, I I'm trying to I try to lose a little weight and I I it, I felt pretty good. Felt pretty good. Yeah, we we started doing this meat free Mondays, so we don't have meat on a Monday. Because um, we're big meat eaters um, over right. here in France as well. It's it's you know everybody eats meat all every meal is meat. So yeah. on a Monday we try to have no meat at all, and yeah we struggle. You know after the sort of four or five weeks of you know making stuff that we know, um, we've struggled. We've just struggle for of a one of one meal a week, and you're struggling. No, the whole day. The whole day is it's a meat free oh. Monday. So you know you. you throughout the whole day so we've just bought a bunch of new vegetarian cookbooks um and i'm working with actually with a restaurant at the moment and they sort of specialized in plant-based food so i'm looking at their feed for inspiration as well and it's difficult but but you're right it it pushes you out of your comfort zone doesn't it you're trying something new the best i mean the best cook i mean you know you can the best sometimes you know the stupid part is is talking about vegetarian if you make something good and there's no meat in it you don't call it vegetarian it's just good you know so i don't know i i this isn't, you know, this isn't a very interesting thing, but, uh, you know, it's, look, what can you do? I don't know. I like it. I think this needs to be a bit. Best thing you've eaten this week. Best thing I've eaten this bit week. Yeah. Mm. Nice. That's a show. That's a show. So, oh, we've got some news next week. We've got some big news next week. We do? So, we do. So, we're often, we're always asked, you know, could we go twice a week? Could we do whatever? Could we do longer shows? Could we do live shows? Could we do video and all the rest of it? But it's difficult. We're busy. We've got stuff to do. And, you know, it takes a long time to do these, these episodes because yeah. then they're edited and the upload of it. It takes, it takes a long time. So, we'd love to put up more content, um, but it's difficult. But I think we've got a solution. So, we're, we're just ironing out a few things now. Um, but yeah, you may well be hearing more from us if that's what you want. <laughs> more, more talk of stick ups and dildos, exactly. and maybe a knife talk conversation. Or yeah, it's yeah, some, something a bit different. So I so said we're just ironing out a few things now. But I think next week we'll be able to reveal what we're up to. That's it. There you go. That's the show. Remember to um, follow our sponsors. Um, have a look at the deals that we've got with them. Um, what I'm going to do, I'm going to put a special page on the website as well with all the offers that we have with sponsors because we've got quite a few offers at the moment and it's good to have a resource everybody can go to and, and see what we can do. So, yeah. So thanks for listening. We shall speak to you next week. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.